Chapter Six of the Tragic Bride. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. The Tragic Bride by Francis Brett Young. Chapter Six. Radway stayed at Roscarna for three days. Irish ways are easy, and Jocelyn did not appear surprised to see his daughter's correspondent at the breakfast table. He measured Radway shrewdly with his screwed-up eyes and decided that he was a sportsman, which, together with the Halberton's introduction, was good enough for him. He only regretted that he could not do the sporting honors of the place for their visitor. There was a certain giddiness, he said, that troubled him at unexpected moments and made him disinclined to go too far afield. But he placed his rods and the contents of the gun-room at Radway's disposal and pressed him to stay as long as the place amused him. Jocelyn, as host, was very much the country gentleman, picking up the thread of courtly hospitality at the point where it had been broken so many years ago, almost without any effort. It is probable that he had begun to realize that things were not well with him, and that since Gabrielle might soon be left alone in the world, it would be wiser to welcome a possible husband for her. Certainly he did his best for Radway, and Radway, no doubt, found him delightful, for Jocelyn had grown milder as he aged, and had never been without a good deal of personal charm. On the other hand, it is not unlikely that Radway told him of his intentions with regard to Gabrielle, even though nothing so definite as an engagement was announced. At any rate, the guests settled down happily at Roscarna, and the morning after his arrival, the luggage cart was sent in to his hotel at Oderard to bring back his traps and gun-case. Of course, Gabrielle took possession of him. The terms of their new relation had been fixed, miraculously and finally, by the character of their moonlit meeting at Clonderriff. No formal words were spoken, but they knew that they were lovers, having arrived at this heavenly state after a whole year of waste. On Gabrielle's side there were never any doubts or questions. She was his altogether. She wanted him to know all that could be known of her, and since she felt that so much of her was the product of Roscarna, it was necessary that he should know Roscarna first. With the spells of moonshine withdrawn, he knew it for the wan, neglected ruin that it was, but her romantic passion for its stones helped to maintain the first atmosphere of illusion. She showed him, with a beautiful emotion, the room in which she had been born, the lofts in which she had played with the stable-boys in her childhood, her alder-screened bathing-place by the lake, the library where her romantic education had been begun. Here, by the most likely chance, they encountered Considine. He had walked up, as usual, in the morning to read Dante with her. He came through the house unannounced and entered the library where the lovers were bending with their heads close together over the map on which Gabrielle had followed the course of Radway's West Indian voyages, and being engrossed in these tender reminiscences, they did not see him. He stood in the doorway, gazing, uncertain as to what he should say or do. In his seventeen years at Clonderriff, he had got out of the way of dealing with social problems. At last Gabrielle looked up, saw him, and blushed. 
she hastened to introduce Radway, the friend I met in Dublin, as if there had been only one. By this time Considine had recovered himself. He shook hands with Radway heartily and talked to him about the shooting. In those few moments it was the man and not the parson who appeared, and Radway, frankly, took him at his own valuation and liked him. "'Quite a good sort, your padre,' he said to Gabrielle afterwards, and she was glad that he was pleased. For herself it had never occurred to her to consider whether he was good or bad. To her he had never been anything more than a figure, Mr. Considine, but it pleased her that anything associated with her should give her lover pleasure. Considine was sufficiently tactful not to mention Dante, and Gabrielle solved his difficulty by asking him for a short holiday during Radway's stay. He coughed and said he would be delighted, and since he did not offer to go, they left him in the library. From the first he must have seen how things were. At the best he was a lonely man, and this must have seemed the last aggravation of his loneliness. I do not suppose he considered that he was in love with Gabrielle, but he was undoubtedly attached to her, for he was not an old man nor vowed to celibacy, and it had been his leisurely delight to watch her beauty unfolding. Leisurely, because he was slow in everything, slow in his speech, slow to anger, and slow to love, which does not imply that he was without intelligence, or feeling, or sex. It would not be fair to dismiss the feelings of Considine as unimportant, but it would be even less fair to sentimentalize them, for the least thing that can be said of him is that he was not sentimental himself. When they left him, he tried to persuade himself that he was not jealous by settling down on the composition of his weekly sermon. But he did not risk any further disturbance of mind by seeing them together again. The sunny season held. The river water was so low as to be unfishable, but in the string of lakelets below La Fanelon, Radway landed half a dozen sea trout with Gabrielle who knew the stones in every pool as gilly. In the divine relaxation of their love-making they were not inclined for strenuous exercise, but when evening fell and the sky cooled they would wander abroad together by the lake and through the woodlands or lie dreaming side by side in the deep heather. During the days of Radway's visit Jocelyn felt an obligation to appear presentable and every evening, when dinner was over, Radway would smoke a cigar in his company, listening to his old stories of old Galway days and sportsmen long since dead. As Jocelyn's memory for immediate things had faded, he seemed to remember his early days more clearly, and, like many Irishmen, he was an amusing talker. Gabrielle would sit on a low stool between them in the white dress that Radway loved, it made the solitude for which they were both waiting seem more precious to see her thus at a distance, pale and fragile and miraculous against the somber background of the Roscarna oak. Then Jocelyn would begin to yawn and fidget for the nightcap of hot whiskey that Biddy prepared for him, and at last discreetly vanish. 
and so the most precious of their moments began. Of these one can say nothing. Naturally enough, in later years, when she made Mrs. Payne her confidant, Gabrielle did not speak of them. And even if she had done so, Mrs. Payne was too surely a woman of feeling ever to have betrayed her confidence. Under that wasting moon they loved, and I know nothing, but that it must have been strange for the empty shell of Roscarna, that tragic theater, to reawaken to such a vivid and youthful passion. The world was theirs, and nobody heeded them, unless it were Biddy Joyce, a creature whose whole life was colored by shadowy premonitions. Gabrielle could not bear that he should leave her, but Radway's plans for the immediate future had been made without reckoning for anything as momentous as this love affair. He was pledged, in four days, to visit an aunt in North Wales, and though he could not undertake to disappoint the old lady, he consoled Gabrielle by showing her how short and how convenient the passage to Holyhead was. To her, England seemed a country as remote as Canada, but he promised her that he would return within a week, and suggested that this would be a good opportunity of speaking of their engagement to Jocelyn. "'But I wish you were not going,' she said. "'I feel as if I shall lose you.' They had determined to devote the last day of his stay to visiting the top of Slevanilon, where there were plenty of grouse. The plan gave them an excuse for a day of the most absolute solitude and the shooting that she had promised him long ago in Dublin. Biddy would cut sandwiches for them, and Gabrielle would carry them in a game-bag slung over her shoulders. At dawn a mist of sea-fog overspread the countryside, and Radway, gazing through the open window, saw the fine stuff driven down the valley in sheets against the darkness of the woods, but by the time that they had finished breakfast the sun had broken through, soaring magnificently in the moist air and promising a greater heat than ever. Jocelyn, on the stone terrace, watched them depart. "'I wish I were going with you,' he said with a twinkle. "'But it's a job for young people. Collar work all the way, and you'll find the grass on the mountain as slippery as ice.' They left him laughing. He liked Radway. Gabrielle might easily do worse. At the edge of the wood she turned and waved her handkerchief, but Jocelyn was tossing biscuits to his favorite spaniel Moira and did not see. They climbed Slevanilon happily, for they were young and full of vigor. Gabrielle was quieter and more serious than usual under the shadow of his going. He killed two and a half brace of grouse. It pleased her to see the ease and precision with which his gun came up. Near the place where they lunched they saw three fox cubs running with their mother, a sight that filled Gabrielle with delight. On a stone nearby them a small mouse-colored bird, a meadow pipit, made a noise, tick, tick, like the ferrule of a walking-stick on stone. From this exalted station they could no longer see Roscarna, for the house and the woods were lost in the immense trough beneath them. 
They only saw the Korob and the lakes of Yarkonot and beyond an immense bow of sea. "'I hate the sea,' she said. "'It will take you away from me.' "'You can't hate it more than I do,' he said, laughing. "'All sailors hate the sea. "'But somehow I don't think I was ever born to be drowned.' The sunshine made them sleepy, and they lay down in the heather. He lay there with his head on her breast and slept. But Gabrielle did not sleep. She watched him lazily and with a strange content. When he woke, the sun was beginning to sink. They walked back along the ridge in a state that was curiously light-hearted. She seemed to be able to forget for the first time the fact that he was to leave her next day. The evening was cool and fresh, and the air of the mountain as clear as spring water. When they came to the descent, he insisted on carrying the bag that held the game. There was a little quarrel and a reconciliation of kisses. They set off together once more hand in hand. Halfway down the mountain, on a patch of shining grass, he slipped, and the weight of the game bag overbalanced him. Gabrielle laughed as he fell, but her laugh was lost in the report of the gun. How the accident happened, no one can say, but Radway had blown his brains out. End of chapter 6 Recording by Roger Moline